John chapter number four, and uh, we're going to continue kind of from where we left off last week. And uh, I I looked at my watch. I realized that uh, we started late. We ran late. And so I'll try to be mindful of that. So if you listen quickly, I'll try to preach quickly. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, Y'all don't look very uh, confident in my abilities to do so. So we shall see. But it's the Lord's Day anyway, right? And so John chapter number four is where we're at. And just to kind of get us uh, in the right frame of mind here, last week we saw Jesus defying the conventional wisdom. He left Judea and did so just whenever things were getting going good. Okay, he was gathering large crowds, multitudes were following him. He had been doing miracles and teaching and preaching, and his popularity was on the rise. And just whenever all those things were beginning to happen, he left the city, left the area, and he went north. He went up into the hill country of Galilee, where the population was lower and where it seems like uh, his popularity was going to be lower, all of those things. And not only did he go in a different direction than what people were expecting him to go in, he also went a different route than people were expecting him to go. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. And we talked about how all of the Jews avoided uh, Samaria like it had COVID. Okay? They tried to stay away from it a lot more than two meters. And so anyway, Jesus decided to go right in the middle of Samaria. And he uh, done the op- absolute opposite of what most men would have done there. And so from our passage, we ask, what determines your direction? And so Jesus, he didn't allow the the normal things to determine and to guide him. He didn't use conventional wisdom. He didn't go about things the way that man would. And we looked at that uh, normally man will look at what is uh, what is profitable for me, what's going to cause me to gain in some way. That's the direction I'm going to go in. And Jesus was going away from what seemed profitable to the men there. We also choose things based on what's popular. What's everybody else doing? Where does everybody else think I should go? How do how does everyone else think I should approach this? And Jesus went against all of what was popular. And then a lot of times we make decisions based on our prejudices. We have preconceived notions of the way things should be and should not be. We have natural desires and tastes and interests, and we try to make God's will bend to those things. And instead, Jesus said, forget all those prejudices, and I'm just going to uh, do what pleases God. And so that should be our first thing that determines our direction. We do what pleases God. He also did what provoked his disciples. He provoked them to love and to good works, right? And so we live our lives in a way that's going to be encouraging uh, fellow believers and going to uh, strengthening them and helping them along. And the third thing that he did is he went in the direction that pursued the lost. He went to find the Samaritan woman because she needed to hear about the gospel. And so if we are making our decisions, if we are determining our direction based on what pleases God, what's going to uh, benefit our other believers, and what is going to uh, draw the lost to Christ, then I think we'll do all right. And so our summary last week was don't live to please people and benefit self. Instead, live to please God and benefit others. And in the long run, if you do that, if you please God and benefit others, you're going to benefit yourself as well. And so it's a matter of priority there. And so today we're going to be continuing in our series that we've been in, Refocus, 
as we're going through our through the Gospels with our attention on Jesus and on who he was, how he interacted with others, what he prioritized. And we're going to pick up with where we left off last week with Jesus keeping a divine appointment with the Samaritan woman. And uh, we've already been talking about witnessing this morning and being a witness uh, for Christ. And for the next few minutes, what I want to be looking at, and don't, don't get uh, afraid because of the number, but seven observations from Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. Okay, seven observations. I'll, I'll go through them quick. So don't get hung up on the number, okay? And so let's start off by reading in John chapter number four. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and we, he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us uh, the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your example and how we can see you interacting with people throughout Scripture, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts today. I pray that you'd shape our thinking and, and guide us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd draw us nearer to you. I pray that if there's anyone here today that uh, doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would call upon you and trust you as their sa Savior, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you to do the need work in the hearts and lives today. Pray God in my thoughts and help me to speak the things that I need to. And Lord, we just thank you for all you do. And we do love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we find that Jesus went to a place where the Jews avoided. He met a woman that the townspeople avoided. He started a conversation about a. Uh, uh, he started a conversation here, which was a custom that everyone said he should avoid. Right? He shouldn't have been talking with this woman. That's not done. You all just came back from Morocco. You know, there's a lot of customs and different cult, right? And so he started a conversation, which custom said he should have avoided, about a topic where everybody tends to avoid. Everybody says don't talk about religion and politics, right? And so he talks about religion here. And so I am glad that Jesus isn't hung up on our hangups. And so as Jesus talks with her, he gives her gives us, excuse me, he gives us an example and he gives us insight into sharing our faith. And as I said, I want to uh, bring out seven observations from this. And I think 
Uh, there are important observations from this interaction. I think there's more than just seven, but there's seven I want to bring out. Okay, I'll limit it to seven. You're all thinking I should have limited it to four, right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'll limit it to seven. And the first thing I want to point out with this, just looking at how Jesus dealt with her, is I want to first look at his motive. Why was he doing what he was going to do? I'll tell you, motives matter. Have you ever heard that? Motives matter. Why we do what we are doing is just as important as what we're doing, if not more so. And we've talked about even in Sunday school how we can uh, do the right thing with the wrong motive. We can do the right thing in the wrong way. And that happens oftentimes. And so as we're looking at Jesus here, as an example, as he deals with this Samaritan woman, we find that just from his dealings, from the way that he is talking with her, along with the way that he conducts himself always, we find that his motive was one of love. He was motivated by love. First and foremost, his motive was love toward his father. He did always the things that pleased his father. And so all things were done with the idea of his love, his self-sacrifice toward the father. And so that was uh, the, the baseline, if you will. That was the main driving force behind what he did. But we also find that he had a love for man. He loved mankind. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, 16, a verse that everybody knows that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. And so he loved the world. There's not a single person that he didn't love, not a single person he didn't die for. And so as he was considering his direction and where he was going to go and what he was going to do, we find that he had a love for this people that the Jews hated. And so he loved this woman. We find in other places that as he was talking to the rich young ruler, it says that he looked upon him and he loved him, right? In our world today, we, we throw around the word love kind of flippantly, don't we? And we look at it, usually think of it in a romantic sense. But whenever we look at love through a scriptural sense, through a biblical sense, it is that choice that people make to put someone else before themselves. If you love someone, love gives. Love prefers someone before yourself. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not something that looks at what do I have to get from this, but instead love is seeing what have I to give to them. We see that in marriages. We look at it in relationships with children. If you love your children, you're doing what's best for them. It may not be what they want you to do, but it's what's best for them. If you love your spouse, you're going to be doing what is best for them. Love is not a selfish thing. And so as Jesus was uh, was motivated by love here. He was willing to go where no one else would go, to talk to someone that no one else wanted to talk to, to spend time with her, even whenever she didn't necessarily treat him the way that uh, maybe he deserved to be treated. And he was willing to share with her some hard truths, some unpleasant things to draw her unto himself. And it was all motivated out of love and I believe one of the reasons why he was successful in his endeavors outside of following the Lord's will and being guided in his direction by God is because he was motivated. He did all these things through love. We find that she's even hostile some of these times. And because of love, he was able to overlook a lot of things. The first thing that she says whenever he asks for a drink of water is she's basically like, how dare you? How is it that you're asking a drink of me? I know the Jews hate me, and personally, I don't really like them too much, so why are you even talking to me? And a lot of times, our response is going to be, fine then, be that way, and we want to leave it at that, right? Is that what Jesus did? It's not what he did. 
And so anyway, he dealt with her graciously and gently. We can even see down by verse number 11, she's changed her tune a little bit. And she says unto him, sir, suddenly there's a little bit of respect that's being given because of how he is addressing her and the way that he is coming to her. And so whenever we are motivated by love, we can overlook a lot of things. We saw that he overlooked her attitude and her actions and such. He overlooked his tiredness. He was weary. He'd been traveling for a while, but he said, this is important. He overlooked his hunger. The disciples were going and they were trying to get food and come back. And even when they came back and brought food, they said, here, you need to eat. We see that down in uh, verse number 33, I believe it is. And so they said, you need to eat. And he says, no, I've got something more important to take care of. You see how love causes us to overlook a lot of things. He overlooked opinions. He overlooked prejudices. He wasn't too concerned about what the disciples were going to think. They came back from town and they saw him talking to the Samaritan woman. And they were going through the checklist of all the reasons by what he was doing was wrong. He's talking to a woman alone. That was not to be done. A Samaritan woman with a bad reputation. And all of these things piling up and the disciples are looking at, how could you do this, Jesus? He didn't care because he was motivated not by culture, not by custom, not by uh, all of these different pressures and things that normally motivate us. He wasn't motivated by the fear of man or fear of religion or fear of anyone else. He was motivated by love. And so whenever we think of being witnesses, we need to do it for the right reason. We need to do it with the right heart. It shouldn't be out of fear. shouldn't be out of obligation to God or man. Neither should we have the attitude toward people that is of uh, arrogance or condescension. And so we find that the Bible says we love him because he first loved us, and we love others because he loves them too. So as we talk about being a witness and trying to win folks to Christ, we need to be motivated by love. If you're motivated by religious zeal, if you're motivated by uh, your plans, your arrogancy, your uh, pressures that you think are put up on you by uh, anyone else, expectations, all these things, it's going to fall flat. You know that people can read you. People know if you care. People know your attitude toward them, whether you love them or not. And so I believe that's one of the reasons why Jesus was effective in this, is that she said there's something different. He actually cares. He is motivated out of love. Second thing that we find in this, we see his message. And simply put, his message was the gospel or the good news about salvation. We look in verse number 10, after he's asked for water, she says, how is it that you asked me of water? We know that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus responds and says, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that said unto thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. So what's Jesus telling her? She's saying, I have something that you need. There's a gift, right? I have something that you need. So you need to know about the gift. You need to know about the giver and you need to know how to receive it. Isn't that the gospel? There is a gift. Jesus Christ has shed his blood to pay the ransom for your soul, to pay for the price of your sins. So you need to know the gift. You need to know the giver. It is by Jesus, not our works, not by anything that we have done, but it is him that so loved us. How do we receive it? He says here simply, if you would have 
ask of him. A gift is offered free of charge, isn't it? And so in this simple verse, in verse number 10, he covers the who and the what and the how of salvation. You need to know about Jesus. You need to know what he has to offer, and you need to know how to receive it. You would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water, right? And so throughout this conversation, she tried to derail him with many different things. She tried to talk about the well that was there. She tried to talk about the lineage, about Jacob and his family and his cattle and all of these things. She tried to talk about religion. Our people say that we're supposed to worship God on Mount Gerizim, and your people say you're supposed to worship at Jerusalem. She tried to get him in all of these different things, but Jesus kept bringing her back to the gospel and to what her need was. And so he made it plain that she had a need, and he wanted to see that need filled. And so this was the message that he brought to her. In verses number 13 and 14, he says, whoever drinks this water, she said, she's pointing to this well, she's still hung up on earthly things. And I'll tell you, most people in this world are hung up on the things of this life. The cares of this world, the things of this life stands between them and God. They can't get their focus off of what is going on down here to realize there's an eternity that waits. And so she is still focused on this well. And he says, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But the water that I give shall be a well of water springing up into him of everlasting life. And you're not going to have to draw anymore. You're going to be satisfied. What he's saying is the, the things that you've been looking into, the things that you've been seeking after are never going to fill you. They're never going to satisfy. You're going to continue coming up empty. It doesn't matter if it's the religion of this world, the materialism of this world, trying to be approved, get the approval and the, the accolades of this world. All these different things are never going to satisfy you. You are going after wells that are going to run dry. But he says, if you come to me, I will be a well of living water springing up. I'm going to be a well that satisfies that thirst, that desire, that longing, that need that you have, that only Jesus could satisfy that thirst. And so he makes it plain to her that she needs him, that she is a sinner in need of salvation. And so he tells her, I can satisfy that need. And so we've seen his motive. We've seen his message. And I believe that's what we need to do as well. We need to stick to the right message. The message is that the world needs to hear about Jesus. They need to receive salvation. We can get hung up on all these other things. We can get hung up on all of the, the goings-on of this world and all of the, the things that they're trying to do. We can get into religious debates. We can get into political debates. We talked about that a little bit earlier, right? But all of those are distractions. All of those pull away from what people really need. People will discuss many different things to stay away from their deepest need. They will debate you. They will fight with you. They will discuss everything under the sun. But we see that Jesus continued to bring her back to her need for him. Now, the religious of the day, they would have been happy to discuss where they were supposed to worship because the Samaritans had uh, made their entire uh, basically a knockoff religion there within Samaria because they weren't welcome back in Jerusalem. And so they kind of reproduced the religion of the Jews there in Samaria. They had their own temple. They had their own place to worship. They had their own laws. They had their own way of doing things. And the Jews would have loved to went in and told them all the things that was wrong with that. And they would have loved to tell the Jews all the things that was wrong with them. 
even in verse number 20, it says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and ye say. See how, how that's a little bit loaded? Have you ever been in one of these conversations? All of you people, those who are like you, say this. She's putting words into Jesus' mouth. Ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus says in verse number 23, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. She says, look at religion. Look at all the things that's going Look, Look how big of a mess this is. He says, it's not going to be much longer. That's not going to matter. But what is going to matter is what glorifies the Father. It's going to matter the truth and the Spirit, right? And so we pull away all these other things that people get tangled up in, and Jesus gets her back to her base need, to what she needs to hear. Don't get distracted by all the arguments and all the philosophies of the world. Instead, you need Christ. You need his forgiveness. You need his salvation. And so if you constantly engage in divisive conversations, you're going to build walls, you're going to alienate people. And so he was motivated by love. His message was the gospel. And so the third thing we see is his method. Simply put, his method was conversational. He didn't go through so many steps. He didn't go through some sort of a program. He didn't have a checklist that he went through and did the same thing with everyone. You notice that every one of Jesus' dealings with people is individual. Each one of his dealings with people is unique. He doesn't go through some sort of a formula. He doesn't do things the same way to everyone. But instead, what he does is he meets people where they are. That's what he did. He meet them where they are. It wasn't some prepackaged presentation. It wasn't uh, salesmanship. So he met her where she was. If we go back to Nicodemus in, verse, or in chapter number three, he was a religious scholar. And so Jesus was a little bit bolder with him, right? Jesus came at him from a different approach. But with this woman, he comes in gently drawing her into himself. Met her where she was, showed her her need, and led her to the one that can meet that need. The fourth thing that we find here. I told you we'll try to be quick. The fourth thing we find here is the mission field. In verse number 35, the disciples have just came back from the town. They were going to buy food, and they were laser-focused. Let's get what we need and get out of here because this stop is a lost cause. These are Samaritans. They believe differently. They have complete different cultures, complete different customs. They don't like us. We don't like them. Let's do what we have to, and let's get out of here. That was their perspective. But whenever they came back, Jesus was talking to this woman, and shortly after, she leaves, and he begins talking to the disciples. And they're trying to get things figured out. They're trying to figure out what they're eating for dinner, how long they're going to stay there, how to get out of the place. And at the same time, this woman is in town saying, come see a man that told me everything that ever i done. Is this not the Christ? And it says that many people believed because of what she said, and then many others came and heard for themselves and then believed. And so what was going on while the disciples were dealing with their bellies, while they were dealing with all of these other things that was going on, this woman came bringing this group of people. And as these guys are bickering amongst themselves, Jesus says in verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months 
and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And I can just imagine as Jesus is pointing to this group of people that is coming out of the city toward him, and he says, lift up your eyes and look. You already had this place written off. You had this people written off. You saw them as unworthy. You saw them as undeserving. You saw them as uninterested. And you didn't even give them a second look. And yet, here they come. The fields are white unto harvest. They couldn't have been more wrong in all of their assumptions. And they were in their own little world. And he pointed out this approaching multitude. And they said, look, here's the people that I came for. You were sulking and you were moping because we left the multitudes in Jerusalem. And look at this multitude coming in Samaria. And though in our minds we write off many people, especially as it seems that the world is less and less interested in the things of God, we don't know what's going on in people's hearts and minds. We don't know what work God is doing in the lives of people. And we're too quick to write them off. We're too quick to say that it's a lost cause. We're too quick to say no one wants to hear about it anyway. Have you ever had that idea come through your mind whenever we're talking about sharing the gospel with people? They're not interested. They don't care. They don't want to know. And so we're quick to write them off, but we don't know what God is doing. The fifth thing that I want to look at in this passage is that we see there's many workers. In verses number 37 and 38, it says, And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. This is a great passage here. It's great encouragement to me. Because I realize I'm not alone in my endeavors. It's not all up to me. Because if we think about all of the lost of this world, all the people who need to hear, if we get so self-focused, if we think that we have to do it all, if we think we're the only ones that are doing it, then that's pretty miserable, isn't it? And so Jesus had his 12 disciples there. They felt like they were their own little crew, that they were the only ones. And Jesus says, I want to let you know that there is a multitude, they are ready for harvest, but there is going to be many people participating in this work. He has likened it to a field where there are people doing different tasks, different jobs. There's one that's sowing, and there's another one that goes through and is going and weeding the thing and tilling and fertilizing and cultivating as the plant grows forth, and then someone else will come through behind and they will harvest that. Many different people involved. And so as we're applying this to witnessing and trying to win people to Christ, we're going to find that most likely we're not going to be the one that does all of the work on any individual, but that God is going to employ many different people in the work of bringing people unto himself. There's something amazing in this passage that's often uh, kind of glossed over here because we find in here that Let me see where she says this. Verse number 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. This is the first time Jesus has ever met her, but you know what? She already has some knowledge. Someone has already sown some seed. 
She is looking for the Messiah, and apparently not just her, but the Samaritans, the ones who have been ostracized and alienated, the ones the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with. They are looking for the Savior. They are looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the one that's going to answer their questions, the one that's going to point them to God, the one that's going to fix their problems. They are looking for him. And so that tells me someone has went on before and has told them. We find that John the Baptist, as he was going about preaching, even where he was baptizing, wasn't located very far from where Jesus was at this moment. And I wonder if maybe John or some of his disciples, some of the others that he had ministered to, had came through this area themselves and had told about the message that John was preaching. Because John was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. That was his message. And guess what? This woman, this Samaritan woman, had already heard it. Someone else had already sown the seed there before Jesus arrived. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And we realize that as we are talking to friends, to family, to loved ones, to co-workers, to neighbors, to all these different people around us, that one sows, another waters, and God gives the increase. And so there are many different workers in this. And so there's going to be people doing all different tasks in being a light and being a witness and being salt into this world. And praise the Lord whenever we get to be the one to harvest. But if someone else gets to harvest, praise the Lord for that as well. I don't care who gets to lead someone to the Lord as long as they find him, right? The sixth thing that we find here is the multiplication of believers. In verse number 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. And so what we find here is Jesus talks to one woman, and then she goes out and talks to others, and then others are brought to Jesus and talk to him. You see how this goes on and on? And there is a multiplication that takes effect. And this is what happens. I believe this is what the, what the Lord desires for his church. He doesn't desire just the pastor or just a select few people to go out and be a witness to the community, but he expects everyone to go to the place that they are and be a light and be a witness to the people that they are around. And so this woman goes to the city, to the people that she's been avoiding because of her reputation, because of her lifestyle. She goes to them and she says, I know my life is a mess, but I found someone who can fix it. I want you to meet him. And so many people believe. Many people come out. And the disciples are looking at this, and they're saying, wait a second. We were just in town. We just interacted with a bunch of these people. We never thought to witness to them. We just went and interacted with a bunch of these people. They weren't open to us. They weren't interested in what we had. But she had an impact. But I'll tell you, if that Samaritan woman would have went to Peter's hometown... Been a different story, right? There's a multiplication of believers, and this is what God in, desires for us. This is what he has uh, envisioned for the church, is for us to be witnesses where we are, getting the word of God out, and it goes forth like ripples on a lake. We find another thing about her is that she didn't even wait for discipleship. A lot of people say, I don't know enough. She just led an entire town to Christ. She'd been saved for like two minutes. 
What is a witness? Telling other people what happened to you. Come see a man that told me all that ever I did. Is not he the Christ? I was once a sinner, and he saved me. He'll do the same for you. Simple enough, isn't it? She simply said what happened to her, and she pointed them to Jesus. The seventh and last thing that I want to bring out here is the manifold blessings that resulted from this. He tells in verse number 36, he says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. There's great blessings, there's great benefits to serving the Lord and sharing the gospel with people. As I said, this isn't a work that we enlist into because we have to. It's not a work that we enlist into in order to gain the, improve, the approval of someone or the approval of God. It's not to meet the expectations of others. What we are doing is we are seeing other people born into the family of God. We are seeing other people receive the same salvation and pardon for sin that we have. We are getting to lead them to that joyful occasion that we were led to ourselves. And so that is one of the blessings, is blessings here, but we also see there's blessings in eternity. Because he says, those who are laboring for him, those who are sowing, those who are reaping in his fields, he is going to give them wages. And we see this uh, uh, developed all throughout Scripture where God says, anyone who is working for me, anyone who is living for me, anyone who is doing my will, I am going to give them blessings. I'm going to give them rewards both now and in eternity. And one of these days, all of our works are going to be tried to see what manner they be. What it's talking about there is not our sins, but it's the labors that we have put forth. And all of those works that we have done for his glory, for his benefit, he is going to bestow upon us rewards for those things. There is a payday that's coming for the saved. We spend our lives in living for him and serving him our labors are not in vain in the Lord. He is going to bring about rewards on us. But it's not just an eternity, it's in this life as well. Something I find interesting here in verse number 33 and verse 34, it says, Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Verse 32, he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And they were debating. They said, okay, this is kind of cryptic. I don't know what he's talking about. He says, I have other meat. Did someone else bring him food while we we're getting food? It's like a competition going on, right? Who, who bought lunch for Jesus, right? But in verse number 34, he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He's talking, he's comparing it with eating here. He says, my meat, my food, my spiritual nourishment here. We like eating, don't we? Don't lie. <laughs> we like eating. And Jesus says, I find my pleasure, my enjoyment, my nourishment in doing the will of the Father. He says it is a joyful thing, it is a pleasurable thing. It is a good thing for me to spend my time, my efforts, my life in telling people about my Father. I get to tell people about the one who loves me. And we get blessings and benefits of sharing our faith, of bringing people into the family of God. We get those benefits now. We get his blessings upon our lives, and we get eternal rewards for being a part of it. And so it's good all the way around, right? And so as we see Jesus' interaction with this woman, honestly, most others would have passed her up. The disciples surely would have. But he was motivated by love. 
excuse me, is motivated by love. His message was the gospel. She needed to hear about salvation. She needed to hear about redemption, eternal forgiveness. His method, he met her where she was and, and led her to himself, brought her to Jesus. You see, the mission field was all around and they didn't even see it. There were many workers. You're not alone in the fight. You're not alone in the, the harvest. Many people make light work, right? Many workers. There's a multiplication of believers. People telling people about Jesus. And we see that there is manifold blessings in serving the Lord and telling people about Him. So that's what I want to encourage us in doing. As we think about being a witness for Him, as we think about telling people about Jesus, it's not some religious work that we're doing. We're not trying to sell religion. We're not trying to convert anyone. We're not trying to add numbers to the church. But what we're trying to do is tell people where they can receive salvation, forgiveness of their sins. I've heard it put this way, that all it is is one beggar telling another where he found bread. That's what we're doing. So I want to encourage you. In our day-to-day -day life, where we go, the people that we're around, be a light. Love them. Look for opportunities. Have conversations. Meet them where they are. Tell them about Jesus. And trust in His Holy Spirit to do His work within them. You're not going to go directly in to try to make them pray a prayer or trying to uh, save them on your own. But you're seeing that people are having an effect. Everyone's doing a work in the heart maybe of some of the same people to bring them unto Christ in ways that we don't even know that He's doing. And in the end, He's going to bless us. He's going to reward us for the labors that we've done. And not only that, we're going to be able to celebrate throughout eternity with those people that we bring. And what a wonderful thing that'll be. Let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for this uh, opportunity that we have looking in your word and this conversation with this uh, Samaritan woman. And Lord, I just pray, help us, Lord, to uh, adjust our, our perspective, adjust the way that we look at these things. And Lord, help us to uh, prioritize uh, loving people and sharing the gospel. And Lord, I just thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all you're going to do. I pray that if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, Lord, one here today that is trusting in, in anything besides you, Lord, to uh, forgive their sins and get them into heaven. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would drop all pretense, that they would uh, turn from all of these things, Lord, and they would trust in you alone and call upon you and ask you to forgive their sins and save their soul. Lord, we thank you so much for all you do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.